Welcome to the Make Music Income Podcast with Stephen Bedall of the Production Music Academy and me, Eric Copeland of Make Music Income. In this podcast, we'll talk about our experiences in music licensing as music artists with online channels, our publishing and royalty incomes, and our combined over 40 years experience as music producers for hire. So let's get started with today's episode. Well, hey, everybody. I am so excited to be here today and uh, finally bring on this guy who has been my mentor. He's been uh, the guy that we all follow for, for just the real skinny on what is happening in sync licensing. Uh, Jesse Josephson, man, how are you doing? Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Eric. I'm doing great, man. It's really good to be on your channel. Congrats on your passing 3,000 subscribers. Uh, I remember when I first passed 3,000, it was just a huge, huge moment. So, man, I'm I'm cheering for you, rooting for you. So, and you put out great content, man. So keep it up. Oh, thank you. Well, and and what's funny is I realized yesterday morning I was like waking up and I was like, you know, it seems like it's been a year since I put my first video up, like a, like to the day, and it turned out, and it was, it was a one year ago yesterday that I put my first video up called six ways to make music income. And I think I, I talked about everybody in that video, including you. And, uh, in that, and that my whole goal was with to, to make it, uh, something that would, would just be my experience. I, I didn't really have, I didn't have any thoughts of it growing into any big thing. I had tried a YouTube channel before, but it just kind of caught on. And, you know, I think uh, a lot of people were very helpful in the, in the growth of it. And you are certainly one of those because you uh, were kind enough to let me on your channel uh, at one point, And we talked uh, about some of your products, which we'll talk about here in the middle. Um, so let me just ask you first the question I ask everybody on this channel. It's kind of the thing that we do with all guests. And that is, how do you make music income in 2022? Well, I still earn my sync royalties, actually. So I got started in this business a long time ago, 2008. And I basically have stopped submitting new music for the last, I'd say, about two years now. Um, but the cool thing about this business is you got passive income. So actually, every quarter since I stopped, sort of, I guess you'd call it a mini retirement. I don't know if I'm fully done, but for now I am. And you still earn income and I still get actually new placements. And I still am earning the royalties from any of the placements that have been just continuously airing since they got placed whenever they got placed. So that's still been going on in the background, which is really cool. Uh, but obviously, primarily now, Sync My Music is my education platform. So that's my primary source of income now. So basically between those two, um, I'm luckily and, and very thankfully able to uh, pay my bills. So. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's, it's great to be able to pay the bills with uh, the things you're, you're doing with music. So um, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about some of those, some of those things in your retirement and all that kind of stuff. Because I, 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 know, I know a lot of people are interested in what happens when I mean, I'm a, I'm an educator now as well, both here on my channel, but also I teach at a, a local recording school here in Orlando now. And so, um, you know, you get, I think of myself as a composer slash educator and composer comes first on purpose. Um, how do you think of yourself in those two, in those things? Are you still, do you still think musically and focus or is, is the channel and the information you want to provide more of a focus? You think? Really good question. I don't, I don't really know if I really have a particular, like I'm first this, then that I think my brain works more in terms of, I crave challenges 
And so if it's a music project and it's challenging to me and exciting, like I'm all on board. And mm -hmm. if it's teaching other people how to do this and creating like a YouTube channel or putting together, you know, the platforms that I put together and it's like, well, how do you do that? I don't know. And it's like exciting to me to see this kind of puzzle form in front of me. I just get really excited by that thing. And, I, and that kind of explains, I know some people might want to know, like, why would you stop sending, sending music to libraries? Well, you, you guys, most of you guys watching this video, you're probably new into the sync licensing business. And so your excitement, enthusiasm for the industry is probably at its highest. And it's great. I don't want to be the wet blanket for any of you guys. But as you get into the industry for years and years and years, um, getting placements on TV shows becomes your new normal. It's, it's not actually new and exciting anymore. It's just kind of what you have been doing for many years and you kind of expect it. And it's still a great, wonderful thing to be grateful for. But my brain, for whatever reason, it is wired to crave novelty. It just wants something new to tackle. And I felt after, let's see, that was 10, 12 years or so. Yeah, about 12 years of doing it you know, the novelty sort of wore off, the excitement of it was wearing off. And I was actually more uh, passionate and excited about teaching and being yeah. a part of the Sync My Music, you know, whatever it is, the endeavor that this thing is and doing YouTube videos and talking to people and just, and also now sort of seeing, you know, almost living vicariously through the new uh, members and saying, and seeing how excited they were to get their first placements or first acceptances. And it kind of brings me back to that first feeling I had. So I don't know, my, my craving for novelty and a new challenge really is being um, uh, satisfied by Sync My Music much more than it was for producing music. Now, maybe Maybe at some point I'll go back to that. But for now, um, I guess you could call myself more of an educator than a producer because I really don't produce that much music these days. And when you did produce music, did you feel it sounds like you felt you were like more of a producer than a composer? I mean, I think a lot of this when I watch your channel and I and I I, I think of you making music, you are making it almost for a, a absolute focused purpose. In other words, you're, you, you're not just sitting there. Oh, I, I just got, I just really want to create some rock today because it's, it's stirring my soul. You're like, okay, no, this person, this library needs this thing. And that's really what I want to focus on. Is that kind of what you think? Totally. And I think what some people might see that as a limiting sort of an approach to creating music, which is like, wow, you're letting somebody else tell you how to get in the mood for a particular style. But for my brain, it actually helps a lot because I need focus. Like if I don't have the reins on, like I'll wander and I will be in 18 different genres at once and it'll be a complete mess. And I'll be searching through thousands of different synths to find the perfect one. So yeah. when you give me the restraints and say it needs to be rock, it needs to have this kind of a riff, it needs to be this tempo, it needs to blah, blah, blah. I actually find that really liberating because I can then just focus on making high quality music and I don't have to make any of those other choices. They've all been made for me. So I think that's why I've said to many producers on my channel for sure is, you know, sync licensing has, you, you have to like fit into that, whatever that is, it has to work for you because for many producers, artists, composers, uh, -uh they don't want any restraints. That is totally just harsh in their mellow and they don't want anything to do with that. So if that's you, then definitely sync licensing is not going to be a good fit for you. Cause that's what you're going to be asked to do every single day, all day. And I think you guys know that. Or you're going to have probably less success than the next guy who is focused that way. And, um, I, I have been a producer first for a long time. That was my background, um, in Nashville and before Nashville, you know, and then down here in Orlando, 
And uh, I'm I'm like you in that I, that that is just not doing it. You know, that is that's become less the thing that I want to do. But um, I also am composer more than than uh, you know. A lot of the stuff that I send to sync libraries is stuff that um, I took a while to do because I really wanted to do it my way and do what I wanted, but yet also please the library. So. Um, writing a briefs is a whole different thing. Writing fo focused briefs, I, I can do and I do all the time, but it's, I wouldn't say I enjoy it or do it. And so in that way, I may not make as much as the next guy. Um, it, my sync career may only be what I want to make. So that's just going to be the way it is versus yours or other people who are really focused and are app because being a producer does not mean being a composer or an artistic person all the time. A lot of times it means you just need to produce what the client needs and you need to shut up and, 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 and it's not about you. And that's the thing I try to, when I try to talk about any kind of music for others or me, making music income for clients, I talk about, it's not about you. And I think you do that too, quite a bit. Yeah. It's a service industry, right? We, we probably mm -hmm. talked about that ad nauseum at this point. And Hey, we can't talk about it enough. If you're not serving someone, even with this channel or with um, with your music, it's it's not what's it for. You're just absolutely. I wanted to dive in because you you had mentioned this in some of the questions that we might want to talk about today. And the idea between you know art and business in terms of like, and where do I see myself in terms of am I really more an artist or am I more of like a business person kind of thing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I want to dive into that because I think that you know this concept of you know some let's say. There's this, I think, belief that like, well, either you can sell out and have to serve somebody by basically, you know, bowing down to whatever they need and creating whatever they want, or you can be an original artist that just completely floods the market with your absolute original inspiration, which obviously in those two choices, one sounds a lot better than the other, yeah. but I, I have a little pushback on that because I, I challenge you to, to show me a artist. I'm sure there are some out there, but a popular artist that's actually made a living for themselves and actually been on the map who didn't have some consideration that this music needs to be digestible by the fans, right? Mm -hmm. Because these days, if I do create music, it is actually more for my therapy, my mental health than it is. Obviously, I'm not going to be releasing any of it. It's really just about if I'm going through something difficult, like putting, putting it to music and words and lyrics just helps me process it. But that is not for the world to consume. And that it really is more of an artistic, therapeutic kind of process. And some artists can infuse some of their original thoughts and emotions, but you better believe they're talking about verse one, chorus one, mm -hmm. verse two, chorus. Why are they using the words like that? Why aren't they just, I just feel like yelling for eight minutes. Now, now like I said, there, there's exceptions <laughs> to the rule. There are going to be some of those bands that have those 10 minute long, you know, fart session, essentially. And those are great. And those are awesome. But the, the music that's enriching people's lives there's still a service mindset there. There's still a consideration of like, I want people to like this. There's not a just complete selfish, ugh, you know, a vomiting of what you want. Yeah. There's still this little bit of like, give me a little bit of the reins, like, you know, two to three minutes is about where I want this song to be. So I do think that like everybody who's finding some success in the music business and whatever, you know, part of it, they find success in, there's still an element of service that's built into it. So I think we just need to, you know, essentially mature, grow up a little bit and realize that's the, that's the big boy world here is that we have to be useful to somebody else. If we expect anybody to give them, give us their time or attention or money. Right. Right. And I have some more questions on that about, about people here in just a minute. Um, so where is sync my music as a company now? Do you feel like it is, um, is, is growing? Do you have, do you have a, 
a game plan? Is there more? I mean, I, I know lately you have really been really focused on trying to get back to the basics a little bit, especially to people who don't know um, who you are or what Sync My Music does. And that's one of the reasons I want to do this interview now is to kind of be part of that um, a little bit. It's also happening during my little celebration, one year celebration week. So that's great. But also for you, you know, I want people and at every opportunity from the beginning of my very first video, you go into the description and it lists the people that they need to go see for certain things. And for sync music, it was, it was you, my man. And so, you know, I still think sync my music is everybody talks about this guy, that guy. I still think sync my music is the most straightforward place that people need to be coming to get information. And I think it, it's only, I mean, do you see this as growing, as moving forward, as your next 10 years or whatever? That's, that's awesome. I appreciate the kind words too. That's actually exactly what I wanted to become was just a straight shooting, complete A to Z on how to do well on this side of business. So that's really cool to hear you say that, man. Um, I don't have really a 10-year plan. I don't really have a five-year plan. I definitely am not going to be shutting it down anytime soon. I know that for sure. I'm loving it too much. It's too much fun. Um, you know, I, I will get burned out here and there for sure. Just like with any job, there'll be times where it's like, oh, the customer service is just bogging me down or, you know, there's issues or there's tech problems, whatever. So I don't really know. I mean, I really felt like in 2020, I had a really, a lot of growth actually happened for the company in 2020. And I think obviously the pandemic played a lot into that. 2021 um, and into the beginning of this year, I felt like things really sort of stabled and act- stabilized and kind of slowed down a little bit. I actually was just not seeing a lot of new energy and excitement and that kind of a thing. Um, and then now, just actually in the last couple of months, probably as a result of a lot of these new videos I'm putting out um, and just kind of... And the reason why I was doing that is because I, I'm, I've been guilty of preaching to the choir. And what I mean by that is that like, I'll, I'll put out a lot of videos where I'm using sync licensing terms, talking about what happens in this industry. And if you don't already have some basic understanding and education about this business, you probably are like, I don't know what he's talking about. Right. And even really simple stuff, like what is a PRO? What is a music library? Right. What is the TV film sync licensing? So we're like really going down to the basics. So I just wanted to commit myself for at least a few months to put out some, you know, kind of newbie content, essentially like welcome. You know, I want to basically expose this to you. Here's what it's about. If you want to learn more, you know, there's the free course that I offer. There's obviously, you know, I think 800 something YouTube videos now, plenty to search through there. Um, But in terms of the future of the business, man, I really don't know. I don't have any plans to like sell it or to stop it or anything like that. So I'm just going to keep going with it for now. Um, And I do want to constantly kind of reinvent it. I think one thing that I find uh, going back to my, you know, previous thought on this is that I need to have a new challenge in my life. And even in this business, I will get stuck. I will get sort of like stale after a while of like, well, okay, it's working. You know, things are working. People are finding success. The the platforms are working. The YouTube channel is growing and that, that becomes normal. So my brain goes, well, this is kind of boring. You know, we got to do something else. So, you know, I I launched this new service called pro feedback earlier this year. And that was actually part of that craving of like, I need to do something different. I need to kind of inject a little bit more energy into my sort of platforms and into my business. And so you can guarantee I'll be doing that from time to time, just something, it might not be a new service, but just some new series or some new something that just gets my blood boiling. Cause if I'm not excited and having fun with this and I'm doing it wrong, that's really my philosophy in life. I have to find a way to reinvigorate myself and make it fun for myself. Cool. Well, that was kind of the next question I wanted to ask you, what is the future? So you've kind of given me that. So let's switch gears here a little bit and talk about the industry as it exists now, the sync licensing industry uh, post COVID now that we are seems like 
hopefully we are fully kind of, or at least out of the, the darkest periods of it. Where do you think this, the, the sync licensing world is compared to maybe before all this happened? How is that, how is that really, um, how is that affecting you and what is going on and, and what, what, what's the new uh, outlook for you as far as sync licensing from 2022 on? I feel that the pandemic obviously just paused everything. It paused the economy, it paused TV, it paused movies. So I, I feel once the, everything kind of reopened, we sort of just jumped back to where we were. Like if you go look at the stock market for that time, we had a huge crash and then an immediate bounce back up. And I feel like almost every industry kind of did the same thing where it was like, yeah, it sucked for a long time there. There was nothing going on, but it was an opportunity to build up your catalog or work on music. But soon enough, after a few months, things opened up and things are back to essentially normal how they were before. There's definitely been some changes in terms of the types of content that are getting placements. Like one of the big ones that was a change during the um, the pandemic was esports. Esports was video game, basically competition shows, that kind of thing. Uh, those were very, very small before the pandemic. And when the pandemic, pandemic hit, I, I saw that even one of the biggest libraries I had worked with who primarily focused on sports, but since sports were just done, they just switched gears. We're like, all right, we're, we're hunting after esports now. And so they were looking for new, you know, sort of clients that could basically use that kind of music. So there's little changes like that that happened. But I think the biggest change is that there's just a lot more awareness of sync licensing now as a result of the pandemic. I'm seeing actually articles being written about how sync licensing saved producers and musicians' careers mm -hmm. during the pandemic. So it for sure was one of these opportunities, this like perfect kind of an industry for a pandemic that was, you could stay home, you could do it as long as you had an internet connection. So, you know, I, I think, it, but that's not like a new thing. So what's been happening since I started sync licensing in 2008 is that obviously more and more producers are becoming aware of it. 2020 for sure, exponentially probably blew that wide open, but there's yeah. still tons of people that don't know about it. So as the years have gone on, the only change that that's really made for producers is that the, you know, the competition has stepped up and mostly the quality has stepped up. I never really worry so much about numbers. There's a lot of people that have always been trying to get involved in sync licensing, but the quality is getting better and better. When you have more people and more producers learning about this industry, of course, you're just going to be attracting by, by statistics, higher quality producers. Mm -hmm. So you just got to know that your A game just gets stepped up higher and higher and higher every single year. So when I first started, you could get a contract with a library with two or three demo tracks. Like as long as they were, they had good ideas, they'd bring you on board, they'd work with you and give you some notes, help you out. Those days are done. So they don't have time to be coaching and kind of A&Ring you through the process. Kind of like record You labels. need to bring to them. Yeah, you need to bring them a full 10 or 12 track album. And it's got to be high quality music. It's got to be as good or better than what they currently um, carry in their catalog. So that's pretty much it. The biggest change I've seen is just because of the, you know, the larger number of producers, you've got to bring just a higher quality product in order to be considered by a library. You have to come in kind of developed. You can't expect a library to say, oh, I see uh, a, a bit of talent here. I'll develop them. It's in the same way that labels don't do that anymore either. They expect talent, somebody to bring them some something great. Um, is it so are as far as you concerned, it's still a good time to get in only growing still. I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. I still believe that like the numbers, this is what usually turns people off. Like, well, there's too many people in it and I don't have a chance. You could make that argument for literally every single industry and business you want to get involved with. There is always too many people, quote unquote, to to succeed. Um, I think the counter 
narrative to that is to find your niche, right? Because you can find a niche in this business, even if it is super crowded, because maybe you create a certain type of hip hop music that infuses world elements that nobody else does as well. Or maybe I had actually one uh, pro feedback member just submit a track and he makes amazing like live Americana country music, like bluegrass Americana country music. And I'm like, dude, like, yes, there's a lot of people that can get into this business, but almost nobody can do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So you can really, really do well. So it's all about just discovering your niche and then finding the right library to partner with. And absolutely. I do think that there's always challenges in this industry. And of course, you'll get those people that'll say, well, you know, the sync fees are not as high as they used to be in the early 2000s and obviously the 90s. And, um, you know, some things obviously haven't gone in our sort of uptrending direction that we wanted them to. But for me, what I see is that like the amount of opportunities, the amount of TV shows, streaming websites, online opportunities, you know, even for the stuff that you've done, even with stock music and all that other stuff, like the amount of opportunities to create income with your music, it's only growing. And I think that's also obviously true with the sync licensing market, because we've got, we haven't even dipped into the waters necessarily yet of VR content and AR stuff that's going to be coming on board very, very, very soon. Um, we also have all these new streaming platforms that all have original content that all need new music. Absolutely. So this kind of stuff, like we, we can't even imagine, I don't think the types of entertainment we're going to be consuming in five or 10 years. And all of that entertainment will need music. It's got to come from somewhere. So if the TV market is shrinking up, which I think, you know, we could say cable subscriptions are obviously on the down decline. There is still this next kind of boom of technology that is happening. We're kind of in this wild west of this next phase of, of history, whatever it's going to be. And music's going to be at the center of it because music has always been at the center of our lives in any way we possibly can, you know. So I do think it's still a good time to get started for sure. Yeah. And Netflix is just the new CBS. I mean, back in the day, if you got CBS, that was the main, one of the main four networks, you know? And so you didn't have to really worry about, you can, you knew that was going to be some money. I had an opportunity to do something for, for CBS back a long time ago, back in the early two thousands. And it was, it was big money. And now that same money comes from Netflix or Google or the strangest places. I've had a friend of mine get a, you know, a Google placement recently, which was very, very big. And Stuff like that. Okay, so um, I I know that you have always preached libraries and uh, music libraries as far as pitching to sync licensing and finding libraries that that have music that they are pushing out to uh, to uh, to TV and film and gaming and all these other things. So, do you still believe first in libraries versus sync agents and pitching to soups? I know that's kind yeah. of Yep. Still it's, it's, it's what I know, you know, like I'm sure if I'd come through this industry a different way, I would tell you, Hey, libraries are a waste of time. You should go with music supervisors, but I just teach what I know. And I, I think I have a pretty solid case against submitting to music supervisors. I'm still not understanding. Uh, I mean, I guess I understand the, the temptation to want to do that. And I understand why people want to do it. Um, I think the math and the statistics are just not in your favor and the, the odds of, of succeeding in a sustainable way are just not there. I think you can definitely get the right person at the right time with the right track for the right project, right? You can have your arrow go through all these magical, you know, uh, wonderful holes right into the target of getting the placement, but try doing that twice. I don't know. It, it, you know, do that consistently over and over again. It's going to be really, really tough. So yeah, I still think music libraries are the way to go. I think you have to be like someone, I did an interview with Tamara bubble, who is a great um, uh, kind of artist who also went through a, you know, the, the, the world of music supervisors and, and and some kind of course or something that I was part of as well. And she just made hundreds, if not thousands of contacts and built her own contact list. 
I think if that is something you can do and you have an email list, a thousand strong of music supervisors, and every time you get a new song produced and you throw it out there, well, maybe there's a chance, a, a way better chance. Um, but most people think of it as just, oh, I'm going to contact this one person and see if this one person needs this one song at this time. That's just like, it's like a, a one in a million chance versus, you know, people finding you for their TV show when they go searching for it. Yeah, it's it's like searching for a needle in a needle stack sometimes to find the right song, but there are you would rather go to BMG or wherever and try to search for good songs and then find the song by keywords than hope someone contacts you on a certain day when you need a song, you know? And so uh, I think if you're going to do that route, the pitching to that, you better have a network that is huge. And so uh, I have another question about that, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so which do you think is more important? I want to kind of move into music and an artist and, or, or, or composers now that you're speaking to. Um, which do you think is more important in sync, a great, great music or a great song? Uh, it's an interesting question. It, it kind of depends on obviously the brief, right? So if it's for an instrumental cue, obviously it's just going to be the music because you don't want to necessarily have lyrics and a full, you know, kind of uh, melody structure there. Um, in terms of like, let's say it was a, like a, a TV commercial placement. Um, it doesn't need, it's, it's kind of like, I know this is maybe sounds like a terrible thing to say, but it being a great song, I don't think that's really that important <laughs> to be honest with you. I think it's more that it's serving the purpose of the commercial, right? Mm -hmm. So if the commercial is all about just feeling free and letting go of all your stressors, well, this, this, the music or the song that you put together doesn't have to be like a hit, amazing, emotionally moving song. But if it just conveys that particular feeling better than the next song, it'll get the placement. So we are not like in the, in the artist world and basically, you know, the streaming world, the song really matters because, you know, the sound of it obviously is the first thing that attracts us. And then it's the story. It's like, well, what are they singing about? I like what, the, I like how it sounds, but like, what is this artist all about? What's their perspective, right? And then the story and the lyrics and the melody kind of hit us later on. Um, actually, I just say the melody hits us first, the lyrics hit us later on. But the, the song is so important because that's what sells us on the artist of like, you have something you're saying something you're communicating something emotionally with this that's really speaking to me and we're kind of doing that in the tv film world but we're not trying to get a hit record right this is not about trying to get this song to blow up and go viral and everybody download it and that kind of thing it's just literally to do one thing is to tie this product or service with this emotion and then try to basically connect the audience to that emotion so that's about it hopefully that answers that question yeah, well, I mean, I think that it makes the case for great music over great songs. I t I tend personally to write more songs, uh, but also you got to write songs, you got to write music that can be of service, just like we said earlier. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, so here's here's this kind of a sticky question: What if you 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 preach uh, and and have such great tutorials? We're going to talk about all your products in in Academy and everything here in a minute. Uh, as kind of our at our mid-roll advertising. I'm not going to run mid-roll ads on this video so that your products really will be the, the mid-roll ads on this. Oh, speaking of that, do you still not monetize your videos? Yeah, no, I haven't. But unfortunately, Google now puts ads on my yeah. videos just because they can. But no, I've never monetized my my channel. That's very cool. Um, but we're going to get to that in a minute. But what you speak a lot and have great videos 
teaching people how to produce in on their own, how to teach people how to do everything from from uh, record in certain styles to actually master their music. You have great guys on your channel that teach all those in, in those videos. But what if somebody just cannot produce good music at home by themselves? The, uh, I, and I only know this because I have hundreds of clients and or have through the years, and I know that just many of them just do as much as they want to. They are not able to create good music by themselves. They're just yeah. too, for whatever reason, and to some extent, I'm handicapped in, in, in a lot of ways because I'm kind of more on the jazzy side a lot of times or this or that. And so I do what I do, right? And um, it, it doesn't matter how good a, an experienced producer I am, it, it still might not be what what people are looking for. But there are also people who are cr chronically amateur. I mean, it's not their fault. It's It might be how they grew up, where they grew up, what equipment they're able to get what uh, songs or playing style that they just can't move away from guitar wise. It's just what it is. What do you do when someone just cannot produce music at home by themselves? I have an answer for this, but what's yours? Sure. I would say there's probably just three options for somebody like that. Um, and it goes from the, the one, one that'll take the longest one that won't be the, so long and one that you're not going to want to hear uh, <laughs> one that'll take uh, the longest is you've, you've got to just learn, you know, you've just going to have to dive into some tutorials. You have to basically be uh, opening up your DAW every single day, even if it's just for 15 minutes, just getting familiar with things, um, listening to new music. That's actually a biggie, especially for those producers that might be a little bit older that are kind of yeah. still stuck in like an eighties or a nineties sort of uh, style. I, I definitely deal with a lot of those producers and I tell them you got to stop listening to that music because I know, and I'm, I'm already guilty of that. I'm only 38, but I still listen to the music that I grew up in the early 2000s. And I'm already feeling like, man, I'm definitely turning into that where I just keep going back to that old stuff that I just grew up on. Right. So we all do it, but you do have to challenge yourself to listen to new music, listen to new styles, get a new synthesizer, try some new things out. So that takes a long time though. That can take a couple of years to get really good at producing. So it's not a quick fix. The second and the much faster one is to partner with another producer. So if another producer can do things that you can't, but let's say you do have a skill set. You can play guitar, you can play keys well, you can whatever you can do. Um, then you might want to partner with a another composer or producer, even if all you do is you put together basically amazing transitional work. So it's like orchestral trailer music, and you can just do amazing work on terms of the risers and the falls and that kind of thing. It's not even really the music of it, but it's really you can really sell it. Uh, and you find a composer that's you know not so great at that stuff, or they just don't have a big library of sounds they work with, and they're willing to partner with you on some sort of a split. Basically, partnering is is you know collaborating is going to be the next best bet for you. And the third one is maybe you know sync licensing and creating music full time is just not for you. You know, and I actually put out a video about this uh, a couple months ago, which was like four ways to know when it's time to quit sync licensing because I've sadly seen a lot of my students have to quit after many months. And sometimes I kind of want to give them the sort of hey, it might be the knock on the door for you to sort of exit now because you're so frustrated, you're hating life, like this shouldn't be that it's a challenge. It's not going to be easy. I'm not going to say that, but if you're depressed about music, you're depressed about your career, you just hate everything and you're getting bitter about it all. Life is too short for this guy. It's like, hang it up, find something else. There are a million other ways you can do, you know, you can do cool things with your music. So um, those are my three answers, at least. How about yours? Option number four, pay somebody to do it. In other words, you have a song, you think it's great. You think it'd be great for TV or whatever. It's in your head. <clears throat> but you're not a producer. You're not a songwriter. You're not even a 
you don't even have a doll, or if you do, all you could do with it is make a, a demo. And sometimes it's just a, or you have a phone, you can make a demo of your voice. I have been working for the past 22 years full time as a producer for a lot of people like this. And most of them are artists, right? Artists don't play things. They don't do anything. And, and if you think of yourself as a person who has good musical ideas or, or a, maybe a possible good idea for a, a, a song or something, and you can kind of hammer it out a little bit on your guitar or keyboard or whatever. It's not, there's nothing against, and this is totally 100% legit. Hire a great producer to produce your music for you and partner with them to put it out or just pay them off and then and, and work for hire and then go out and do uh, and, and pitch these songs. Um, yeah, I do a lot of stuff in here for stock libraries. I mean, I can produce stock music all day because it is what it is. You know, it's a lot. It's, it's again, it's music that needs to be used underneath certain things. But I will tell you that probably 75% of my stock of, of my music for sync libraries that's been accepted by sync libraries has been accepted because I used great players in Nashville and, and I produced it with people other than myself. So it's not a, I think people can approach sync licensing without producing the music themselves. And I think that um, this is probably something that you could do a video on as a person who I'm sure you have worked with people and helped them produce something good uh, other than what they can produce. And um, I, I, yeah, they have to spend money to do that. But guess what? They got to spend money on gear. They got to spend money on all sorts of stuff. So what's the difference in just being a smart person who comes up with decent ideas for songs or can work with a, another person? It's probably covered in your second one where you said get with somebody else and work with them. But I mean, you could do it totally uh, and just come to them with an idea. And then I, what I end up doing is taking that idea and taking it to Nashville or wherever and, and tracking it. <laughs> and so everybody looks great and uh, libraries are happy. And uh, I also get great singers. You know, I find Nashville singers, Orlando singers, Disney singers, singers on sound better. There are people out there who you can work with. So that's my answer for that question. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I actually haven't um, done any of that where somebody wanted to get into sync licensing and have me produce for them. So I did do some artists producing, you know, way back in the day. Um, but that was good. They were trying to, you know, make hit songs, that kind of a thing. But um, yeah, if you got the means to pay people to put your music together for you and, and to take your ideas and put them in a tangible form, then yeah, that's actually a great, great way to do it. I, I think that's obviously just the biggest stumbling block for most people in that situation is to have, you know, that kind of money to be able to put, you know, because, you know, putting together two tracks is, is great. And you should definitely put together two tracks if you can. But two tracks does not make a full-time income, you know, for sync licensing. So sync licensing, I think probably the reason why I haven't sort of, sort of recommended that approach only because there is so much music you have to put out all the time. You know, it's a constant week, constant uh, monthly hustle. You got to throw out all this new music. So to have the money, and this is why people always ask me too, like, hey, Jesse, um, do you think it's a good idea for me to pay somebody to master my music for me? I'm like, do you have a hundred bucks per track at the low end probably to get it professionally? That's like the probably super low end. Um, it's probably gonna be a lot more than that for a super high end mastering engineer. Like if you've got the funds for that, God bless you, go for it. But I don't think it's necessary. I think we've got the tools and the plugins these days to make it licensable. So I think people think because they're not a professional 
mastering engineer, they have to go pay somebody to do that because somebody told them that probably a mastering engineering company. So it's like, well, you know, libraries also aren't mastering engineer professionals either. They're just libraries. They might have somebody on staff that can do great mastering, but for the most part, they're just there to take high quality music and feed it to their clients. That's all they do all day long. So as long as your music is a thumbs up to them and a thumbs up to their clients, they don't care if you master that thing with Fruity Loops on a laptop <laughs> with using your headphones. They don't, they don't know how you master it. They don't really care. All they know is, damn, that sounds really good. And that's exactly what we need. So I, I definitely have more of the, you know, empower yourself. I think I, I'm biased towards that of like, learn to do it yourself, learn to master it yourself and save yourself a lot of money. But of course, you're absolutely right. There are those people that just for whatever reason, they don't have it in them and they just don't want to put in that effort to do that. So yeah, if you've got the money instead of the effort and the time, use that money. It'll work for you for sure. Well, especially since you have a lot of people coming into this as a second career down the road. And uh, this, that's the kind of client I've had through the years, but instead of sync licensing, they were trying to be artists. Well, it's harder than ever to be an artist in a world of a billion artists, you know? And so I, what I've been quote unquote selling clients on lately is why not double dip? Why not go ahead and make something that you want to make artistically, but then let's pitch that to li to libraries. I mean, that is, a, you have no other back end. What are you going to get back end off? off? I mean, Spotify probably won't take off. I mean, there's, the possibility exists. Uh, radio is gone. What is radio these days? But sync licensing is a back end that you can have. And uh, so that's, that's one of those things I'm kind of saying, Hey, we finally have a back end for good, well, super well-produced songs. And if you are, are someone who really enjoys, you wouldn't believe how many people out there, if you're watching this right now and you like want to make great music, but you're not a musician yourself. And I, and I know that there are people watching this that are on that level. So anyway, something to, uh, to think about for, for the next level of, Thing. Maybe this is what you move into one day, Jesse. This is you could just maybe turn those people into 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 clients. Um, okay, so let's talk about some the other problem with with a lot of people and 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 the things that we can't teach them. Um, what are the top non musical things that you find that you can't teach people? There are tons of things you could do videos about, but and you can try to hammer it into their head. But there are just some things people don't or can't get do you have thoughts about that yeah i actually am going to put out a video on this very topic and i and i was doing some reflecting on you know after i've coached i have thousands for sure of thousands of producers at this point and some are doing well and moving on and that's a very small number of them i'm talking three to five percent of them are moving on and making this a substantial part of their income and they're on their way to doing it full-time and 95 percent are in it for a while and then they're gone sure. and i'm always like well, what is that like I can't be that special. There's really nothing that unique about me. And as I was looking back and when I got started, I think the one thing that ensured my success was desperation. I actually had no backup plan. <laughs> I mean, I could have probably done something else, but I had basically just uh, quit my day job that, that I was miserable in. I had basically a couple of years, maybe a year of unemployment benefits, and that was it. And then I had such a sour taste in my mouth from working for somebody else that I said, I will do literally anything to not have to go do that again. Cause I was literally getting stomach aches going into work, having to say good morning to people and managers that I just hated and I didn't mm -hmm. respect at all. So my desperation kicked in. It was like, you better make something work with your music in the next couple of years or else you're, that's, that's where you're looking back at. You're going to go back and have to deal 
with just jerks basically, you know, for your, for your living. And so that scared me. And so I got <laughs> desperate and it was like, okay, I, you know, when I first went on unemployment, it was like, all right, go to bed at 4am, wake up at 11, you know, <laughs> no, no discipline at all to my life. Cause it was just a brand new thing. I had no skills in that. If nobody told me you have to wake up to get to work, I wasn't waking up. So the desperation forced me to get out of bed early and work and work and work and work and work. And that fear probably combined with a little bit of spite because I wanted to prove the last company I'd worked with that they were dead wrong. They said that I had no career, had no future in the music business because they were kind of a music-based company. So I was like, well, I'm going to prove all you, you know, people wrong. And I'm scared to death that if I don't prove you wrong, I'm going to be in a really bad situation. So I can't teach that to anybody. Obviously nobody can give that to somebody. And the, you know, the luxury and, you know, the, the nice thing that some producers have is they do have a day job. Right. And I think that's a really important thing, especially if you've got a family, but when you've got the day job and you've got another source of income and other things are kind of working out for you, you don't have that desperation. So there's no immediate, like, all right, well, I don't feel like making music today, but you know what? I'm, I, I'm more scared of not making music my full-time job. So I'm just going to force myself to get into the studio today. Um, I don't know how to maybe maybe you could like emulate that desperation in some way without actually creating it. Cause I definitely don't want people to think, Oh, great. I got to quit my day job and just rely on income. And that's all uh, single licensing. No, please do not do that. So I, I don't want people to make foolish choices and to create a really bad hope to potentially really dangerous situation for themselves and their families. But I have to say, and I heard this from so many people that have succeeded in whatever line of business they worked in desperation. Like they had, they, they took away their plan B. There's no escape route. It's this or bust. So I think that's the biggest thing that if somebody can, if you can feel that somehow in your life without creating real danger for your family or for the bills that you have to pay, go for it. Yes, I did that. I had the same thing happen 22 years ago. I left corporate and there was no safety net. There was nothing else. I was doing everything from a uh, carnival litter. I was literally a carny. I, I, I helped a friend who had a carnival business and I set up his uh, trampoline thing and his rock wall. And I helped do that until uh, I started working at the studio and I just made music full of uh, the full-time gig, but I had no other choice. There was no other way to make any income other than just doing music full-time. I tell people that there's a lot of things I can't, I can't teach them. And I tell my students this, I can't, I can't teach fire in the belly. I can't teach somebody who I can't teach you to want this as much as you want it. And I want it, whether it's our channels, whether it's our music, whether it's our pitching or whatever that I can't teach long range focus. And I can't teach still wanting to do music in five years or 10 years or 20 years. And uh, you just do, or you don't, you know? And so those are several things Um it's hard to it's hard to really instill people how important professionalism is. I know you talk a lot about this on your channel when you're talking about getting into libraries and and talking to them and sending them short, brief, to the point emails, and uh, and then just patience. You know, I'm in the patience part of sync licensing personally right now. So, what are your thoughts on some of those? Yeah, I, I agree with you. There is something innate in some people where they're willing to put in a couple of years into this thing and wait and go, well, I don't know if I have anything coming into my royalty check, but I hope it does. And I'm going to keep going and, and have faith that it will. Uh, professionalism, I think in many ways can be taught. Um, yeah. Obviously, social skills are kind of something you learn as you grow up. So if you're already an adult and you've got poor social skills, you know, I don't know how much of that can be fixed. I think you can basically just 
get out of your own way. Probably. I think like what Eric, like you just said, the best thing you can do is be brief, be mm-hmm. right to the point. It's the biggest thing that I see. Um, the biggest mistake when I get emails that are like, you know, just long, long, long paragraphs. I'm like, I know that they're just trying to share with me their life and what's going on in their background. But like what you're asking is my time, which is the most valuable asset I have, right? Money comes and goes, music sometimes great, music, but whatever, relationships here and there. Time is just going. I'm, I'm losing time every single day and I, I can't replenish it. So we just remember that when you are interacting with anybody to obviously, as you said, keep it super brief. Um, yeah, I mean, I think those, I think fire in the belly, you know, most musicians and producers have that. I think it's just a matter of taking the, there's definitely an ego involved with that, which is like, well, I want to make it right. I want to be a successful producer, artist, whatever it's going to be. And I want to be well-known. I want to be paid. I want this to be my full-time job. So that fire in the belly is there. And that ego, it can definitely be helpful for you because it pushes you to do better. But that ego can be your enemy when you allow it to, um, you know, take a rejection personally, for example, from a library. So a library, one particular library you submit to doesn't really like your music or they don't feel like it's the right fit for them. And then you say, oh my gosh, either they don't know what they're talking about, they're idiots, or I don't deserve anything and I was a fraud and I shouldn't be in this business. So your ego can really distort reality very quickly. So trying to sort of mute that a little bit at certain times, whoops, it's it's kind of more of like a tool. I'd see it. It's more like when you need it, crank it up. Like when you're creating and you want to just make a huge, awesome, amazing track, crank your ego through the roof, you know, be a narcissist all day long. But when it's time to interact with human beings and trying to be, you know, helpful to them, dial that sucker back down. It's not always useful and it's not, it doesn't need to be in the room every single time. And getting back to patience. I heard, um, I heard lately on a, a podcast you did with my friend, Dave Croft. We both live here in town together and uh, actually he's been on my podcast the past few weeks, but um, you had a great analogy that I've never heard before about patience, especially in this business about the people who hang in the people who don't called the waiting room. And have you done a video on this yet? If you haven't, you need I to haven't. your own. No, I haven't. And I've just <laughs> mentioned in a few videos. I'll, I'll briefly explain it. So when you get involved in sync licensing and uh, licensing, and especially since 2020, so as I said, so many new producers are getting involved. When you're first getting started, you know, you, you may be you see a YouTube channel like this and you're like, wow, there's a lot of people kind of learning about this thing. And you're looking around thinking, like, man, there's a lot of people that are going to be my competition. So it looks a little too crowded to do well. And it, 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 you're in many ways, you're right. There are thousands, if not tens of thousands of producers that are getting into this business all the time, jumping in probably on a monthly basis. But what you don't realize is that, as I just mentioned, about 95% of them are bailing out very soon, within six months, maybe a year at the most. Most people just heard about it, got excited. You know, it's a shiny new toy and they're all about it for a couple of months until some other new shiny toy comes along and then they're chasing that. So just keep that in the back of your mind that as it feels very crowded in the beginning phase of this, as you're shopping the libraries, getting your first couple of contracts, as the years go on, that waiting room gets smaller and smaller. And pretty soon you're going to be in a, in a room of maybe 10, 20, maybe 30 or 50 at the most other producers and composers on the library that you work with. And you guys are going to be getting all the briefs and all the opportunities. And even some of them here and there, you'll see that they drop off. As If you if you're on the library with me, I've dropped off, right? You don't see me anymore on there. So it just happens after a certain amount of time, people either drop out or in a short amount of time, they drop off. So just don't don't let the large numbers in the beginning of the, I call it the waiting room, scare you off from finding out that there are smaller rooms to get into uh, much further into this business. Yes, because if I know one thing of working with artists and clients and music people for the last 25 years is they, they will eventually quit. 
And um, the reason I still make music income full time is because I never did. And uh, every every week, someone calls me and says, "Hey, Eric, you still do you still doing music? Can you help me with this song?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And so you know, there's always work because I guess what I still do it. I, I haven't stopped doing it. And if I had stopped and my uh, my skills were low, I wouldn't say be able to say yes and knock something out for them, and they wouldn't come back to me ever again. And then boom, I would be lost for that client who comes back every five years or whatever. But um, I think that's that's just something I can't teach to people. Well, I can. I literally do teach that to students right now. And that's one of the last things I say to them before they leave my class my, and move on to the next section of what they do in this school. But I say, you've got to keep doing this. You've got to keep doing it. If you want to be doing this in 20 years, you better be still doing it then in 20 years. And that's that's a hard thing to teach. Okay, so let's take a commercial break here and talk about your products. I, I have experienced, I'm not sure if all of them, I haven't uh, been part of, of, the, uh, of your newest one, which is the, you mentioned a minute ago. Pro uh, feedback. Mm-hmm. Pro feedback, yes. Let's talk about that first since that's new. Sure. Yeah. So I have been bombarded with requests to review students' music all the time. And for the longest time, I had a mentorship group called The Syndicate, which was the only place that I could do that because I kept the numbers very, very small. You know, it's I get overwhelmed very quickly, especially if a lot of people are talking to me and asking for things. So I intentionally, when I started my company, had to make sure that I have to sustain this for a long period of time. In order to do that, I need to keep it in a, in a sustainable way and I need to keep my numbers very, very low. So, but these, these requests kept piling up and I was like, well, how do I get feedback to all these people that need it and they don't or don't want to become a part of the syndicate? So I don't know what took me so long to figure this out, but I basically decided, you know what? I've got amazing producers in my community. I've also got some amazing contacts in this business that I know would love to help out with something like that, to give some feedback. Obviously, I want to pay them for their time, but I know that they've got great things to offer and they've got some amazing insights that they can share, especially these are library owners, people that have been in the business for many years. They're also composers. They've gotten tons of placements. So they're they're definitely walking the walk. And I figured out a situation where we could put them as a sort of, I call it like a, it's like a farmer's market where they basically have their booth set up on our platform and our customers can come on in and shop for whatever pro they want to work with. And the pros will give you a little background on who they are. You could watch all the video reviews that they've done and you can get to know these people intimately. And that means that you can check in with them every single month. Like let's say you submit a track this month, you make some changes that they suggest. You can submit that same revised track the next month and see if you're going in the right track. This is my, my vision for this service was to help people stay on a track towards success and to actually be focused. A lot of times producers do this where they go in circles. They think they're making progress, but really they haven't gone anywhere with their music. And it sounds about the same as you had talked about before. So this is a way for them to basically have a check-in process with a professional that they choose to get feedback. Now I do give feedback in the service, but it's in a limited way. And it's not just free for all. Come and ask me anytime you want. So I do have two uh, ways that you can get feedback from me in that service. One is we have these live monthly reviews. There's zoom chats like you and I are doing right now. Um, and we do those on Saturday mornings and I always make sure everybody's aware of them. Um, for the last four or five months, I've been able to review everybody's track that's submitted. So if you join, very good chance you're going to get a review from me every single month as well. So you get one from one of our pros, you get one from me. And then the third way we give reviews is we do these bonus ones, which you may have seen on my YouTube channel. Uh, We usually get a few of the guys together and we all collectively review a track. So there's basically an opportunity for you to get three reviews every single month on the platform. And 
The reviews are awesome. The testimonials have been great. People have been saying it's been the best thing that they've done. They've really seen that, you know, it's one thing watching tutorials. It's a whole other thing to get personalized, you know, uh, insights and recommendations on your music. And that's making a big difference for a lot of members for sure. Cool. Yeah. I've been doing that for 20 years on my production company site, you know, where I'll just do a three song critique, but it's, it's not the same as what you're doing. You're doing a little bit more in depth and focused on sync, which is, uh, which I think is very cool. You also have the sync Academy and sync edge, which I've been part of talk about those for a little bit. Yeah. I'll just give a real quick pitch on those. So sync Academy is essentially a platform for you to learn how to create licensable music. We have over 120 hours of tutorials. They're broken down by genre. And we also have a whole section just on the business side of this stuff. So you can basically go pick and choose what you need to. Uh, we do have a feedback corner where you can get peer reviewed. So you're not going to get my review or one of the pros that I selected, but you can definitely get other members reviews. And I, a lot of people are taking advantage of that. And it's still, even if it's not a professional review, it still can be helpful and motivational Absolutely. just to kind of share your music with the, with the community. And that's the place that if you have any questions, comments, concerns, discouragement, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through or you're confused about, it's basically like, you're going to get me on call 24 seven. You can post a comment on there and I'm usually the first one to reply to it and to give you guys sort of like, you know, um, counseling, coaching, whatever you want to call it, just sort of some mentoring essentially uh, for your sync licensing careers. And you can collaborate, connect with other people, all that good stuff. So that's Sync Academy. Sync Edge is essentially just music library recommendations. So many producers hear about music libraries, but they don't know how to find them. First of all, where do you find these ones other than typing in music library? What do you do? Uh, on top of that, how do you know which one's right for you, right? So in, in Sync Edge, essentially, I have all of the recommended libraries that I've done research on that I feel are strong, strong libraries, have great reputations, great clients, and they're also active recently. That's a big, important one. There's a lot of libraries have great websites, great placements. They haven't put out anything since 2015. Yeah. It's not a good sign. They've been bought out. They're gone. They're out of business. Something happened, right? So I make sure that the libraries that I recommend, I put out two actually every single month in the Sync Edge program. Um, I give a whole video overview on on my research. Here's the library that I recommend you guys check out. Here's the genre that I think works best for them. That's really important that if you're sending music to a library, you're not just spamming them with whatever you got, but you really got to do your research to know, okay, do they need hip hop music? And if they do, what type of hip hop music would be great for their clients? Or maybe they're a trailer house and I shouldn't be sending them hip hop music. I should really be sending more orchestral or maybe some minimal tension music. So all of that research is basically done for you. So you don't have to do any of it. So it's more of a time saver is what Sync Edge really is. And then you have a great ebook that I have also bought before and, and still have used uh, even recently. And we'll be using it again as I do some new pitching here soon. But um, you have a, a, an ebook of, of library uh, names and contact information that comes along a lot. I think it comes up with Sync Academy and Sync Edge when you sign up, if I'm not mistaken. Or yeah, you can it's buy actually, it separately. Yeah, it's an optional uh, purchase. You can uh, purchase it alongside your, your membership, but it does cost more than just the membership. But yeah, that's basically the running list, I think, of the um, of all the music libraries out there. I think every year it changed. It's so dynamic. So I always get people that email me in June and say, hey, you know, four of these companies are already out of the business or their websites. I'm like, that's just kind of how this business yeah. works. People get bought out all the time and it just sort of switches. So I do update it every single year. I do my best to try to make sure that all the outdated ones get knocked off of there and new ones get brought on board. Um, but that one includes all types of libraries. So it's not just TV film exclusive yeah. ones. It can have stock music. It can have yeah. royalty free music in there. So it's literally anything that you can make money on. Um, you can find it in that directory. But the, the Sync Edge basically gives you more of the focus on TV film sync licensing and the insights that I would provide to you. And of course, just the list of, I think are the top most relevant libraries for us producers in this business. 
Okay, cool. Um, all right, we're about done here. I, I talked about uh, a lot of these questions we've kind of already answered that I was going to ask about you and, and your sync journey as far as where you are with sync and stuff. And I know you became a father recently in the past few years, and that's very cool. And I hope that is all going great. And uh, your business has changed. We've talked about that. And, and your passion for music, where does that stand right now? Or is the passion more about the business and how does music, I think a lot of people would like to know where, when, do you still make music? Does it, do you still get just inspired from time to time? Yes. That's, that's my sort of music therapy stuff that I do for myself. I really, when I just get this feeling or I'm going through something tough emotionally, music is usually the outlet I go to. And it just really helps me unlock a lot of doors and process things. It's just amazing. It's a beautiful gift, you know? Um, I'm always passionate about music. I, I listen to music every day, you know, even if I'm just obviously, you know, going for a walk, going to the gym or just walking around the, the house or whatever. Um, music's always on. I still got my drum set back here. I'm jamming all the time. Um, and now my daughter, she's almost two. I'm really trying to get her into drumming. So I'm basically <laughs> just exposing her to a lot of drumming now and putting on some loud music and showing her how fun it is. So yeah, music is just a part of my life. It's in my blood, man. I'm, it'll never go away. And especially now with a daughter, it's like now I get to see her excitement. Like if I play guitar or if I play drums and just to see her light up and go like, Ooh, what's that? And so, you know, getting her a little piano on her own. So yeah, music is, it's bigger than sync licensing. It's bigger than Absolutely. just a business for me. It is, it's a way of life. And it's basically how I've, you know, think about, I don't know about you, if you, if you were in a lot of bands, Eric, but like, I, I was re realizing that most of my social life is because of music, you know, all the bands I've had, all the relationships I've had living in LA for so many years and meeting so many people through the, the music business, like music, it becomes just a, your culture, your way of life. So yeah, it's not, um, I don't think you can lose the passion for it. I think it just changes, you know, your, your, your tastes change, your, yeah. your priorities in life change, but like music is still humming along right there all the time. <laughs> or, or maybe someone watching this video, who's wanting to get back to music, you know, they, they, they did music back in their twenties. This has been a standard client for me. They did it in high school or they did it in their twenties. They were going to major in music or they were going to get in a band or they had a band, but then they got married and then they had kids and then they got a job. And then now here they are in their forties or fifties and they're ready to do music again. And they're looking at just possible ways to make income with music, which is what my channel is all about. And they, they stumble onto the sync licensing thing and they're like, what, what is this? And so uh, a great way to possibly use your music. Um, so do you, do you still actively talk or pitch to libraries at all, or is just not nope. right now? Nope. Nothing right now. I, I do have one door open essentially with one of the libraries that I, I really liked um, because I did do a little bit of work. So I did sort of like retire, quote unquote, about two years ago. And about three months, four months after that, they said, hey, we've got this opportunity to make a, a lot of music for a sports network. So, right. um, and you will guarantee placements with that. And I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm coming out of retirement. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so the cool thing about my situation now is I do have the luxury of being able to say no to stuff that I just, I feel like it's not worth my time, but that library, they, they're definitely still working on that. They're going to actually be, I, I think, reopening that um, opportunity soon. That time we didn't make any upfront fees at all from that music. And he says the next time we do that, there actually will be considerable upfront fees. So that one, the door is already open. I'm already yeah. just like, hey, yeah. let me know. I always tell him like, hey, any updates on that? Like I'm ready to go, right? Mm -hmm. And I actually think it'd be cool if that does get offered because I would like to stream some of that and show my pr creative process. That'd be kind of cool. I'll definitely have to dust off the cobwebs a little bit, but um, but no, other than that, every other library contact, we don't really talk. It's just kind of, it's just crickets at this point. Okay, cool. Good to know. Let me write a note down because I want to ask you about that. All right. We're going to get into now 
the speed round. We've talked about basically all the things I want to do, and this is just a quick, uh, quick round to kind of finish this off. So here's a question that I, I have. It's, it's something that is kind of an issue for me, and this does not include you or anybody else whose channels I want, Clint, or anybody else who I'm talking about. But there are some people in this sync business that I see that are um, they they're putting together these big webinars of tens of thousands of people and then offering, you know, they, 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 it's their free webinars. And then they offer these services um, that cost thousands and thousands of thousands of dollars, but they never offer free content. You know, you are a, you're every week for years, you have been offering free content to people. And then, so for, for, for you to then sell products that I think that gives you legitimacy. I think that gives you the ultimate legitimacy and people who know you. And if, and if just like with me at this point for a year, they can look back and see videos every week. There's, there's not like a question if this person does anything. Do you have an issue with people who do anything like that or everybody's can do whatever they yeah, I don't, want. I, mean, I would say I don't really have an issue with them. Like if you, if somebody stumbles across like a webinar and then there's obviously like a big upsell and I, I know exactly, you know, the types of, you know, companies and people that are doing that. Um, if you feel that this person is like, man, they really get me or I just like how they talk or, you know, their personality just rubs you the right way. And you feel like, Hey, that's a fair price. I can pay that. And I think I'm going to get value from what they're offering. Go for it. Like if they're offering legitimate stuff, you know, and a legitimate service or whatever, and they're charging whatever they're going to charge, then I, who am I to say like you shouldn't go with your gut, right? Your gut will tell you like, all right, this is either somebody I have uh, I've known about for a while, and now I really want to join them, or it's like, hey, I've never heard of you before, and all of a sudden you're you're coming out here with this content, but. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you're going to be asking me for thousands of dollars at the end of it. I don't, I don't know. That's why probably not a lot of people sign up for it just because I think that model just, it, it breeds, um, you know, a lack of trust. Cause yeah. it's like, I, I haven't gotten to know you for years. Right. I don't know you. I have, I have students actually that join Sing Academy. They're like, Hey man, been following you since 2018. I'm like, what have you been doing for four years? You know, it's crazy <laughs> though, but it's like, that's, that's sometimes, you know, everybody's on their own time scale. And I, I found that like putting out YouTube videos and putting out free stuff was just like, I wanted you to get to know me, get to know my philosophy. And but just like you said, see my consistency. So if you look back on my videos, I've changed my minds on a couple of things, but like, you know, this idea of showing up and being ready to work and be serviceable and useful, it's been what I've been saying since 2017 when I put on my first video. So um, I'd say go go with whatever you feel. Like if you feel like one of these webinars is really going to get you what you want, of, of course, go for it. I will say I, I want to expose one little trick, though, that a lot of these people do use. And I'm, I'm sure everybody knows this, but I do feel that it's one of these things that because it annoyed me when I first started my business. I, that's why I want to mention it. So there's this principle in marketing and you know setting your prices for your services where you don't want to be the cheap one in the room because the cheap one, meaning the lowest expensive, the, the lowest cost one, because the cheap one is seen as the lowest quality for most of us. And it's actually true. Our brains are biased that way. Like when you see two products, you, you assume the brand name that's a little more expensive probably tastes better. Probably doesn't, but your brain just assumes that. So there are a lot of people. And when I first started my channel, I had people approaching me, wanting to work with me saying, dude, you got to raise your prices. I want to, I want to do affiliate marketing with you, but dude, you're, you're charging 19 bucks a month, like 20 bucks a month. Like you're not making, you can't, you can't do it that way. You've got it. You, you are seriously under 
undervaluing that's how they would phrase it undervaluing your services and i say i I appreciate what you're saying but like that's not my business model my business model is i know who my customers are my customers do not have thousands of dollars sitting in a bank account a lot of my customers are paycheck to paycheck and they can barely afford a 20 dollars or 30 dollars month subscription um and so what a lot of these webinar people are doing is they're putting a three thousand dollar price tag on it a five thousand dollar price tag on it i've had some students tell me about that and the, the, the idea there is you will be fooled into thinking, well, that's got to be way better than Sync Academy, right? That's way more expensive. So obviously there's way better information there. Um, I would have to say probably not. It's different. I, I guarantee you it'll be different, but I don't think it's going to be $3,000 worth of a difference. Um, I think that there is that concept that a lot of people can use. Um, and, and some, and it fools some people. I think some people go for it or whatever, but I don't think that it necessarily should be I just want to caution people against that, that don't see a high price tag and think they've obviously done all the research and they know that their content is worth $3,000. Probably not the case. It's probably a marketing gimmick. I just don't think they're going to end up at the end of that $2,000, $3,000 or whatever. Better off than taking Sync Academy for six months. I just don't, or or a year or whatever the the time thing frame is. To me, it just doesn't seem... Personally, from from looking at all of it and being on this side of the business a little bit, I just personally, I don't think that's just going to be the case. Um, are you generally against pay to play for uh, people sending money to companies to 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 listen to the music or get them a, a thing? You know. Yes, I am, and mostly just because you can submit to music libraries directly. Like that's what my services are about. That's what you can absolutely do. That's what libraries expect to happen. Like they have their doors open for the most part. So these companies in the middle, they do provide a service in a way where they can send you briefs and maybe keep you motivated. And I understand the value of that, but it's not necessary. And you know, think about if you were getting to um, real estate. And it was like, I want to go become a real estate investor. Um, what would be the approach that makes sense? You go pay some company to give you leads or you yourself go out and make friends with realtors and agents and say, hey, I'm becoming a serious realtor in this marketplace. Please give me a call when you got something on the market, right? Going directly to the source is always the professional route. It's all Having a relationship with these people is always the way you would go. So no different here in this business. Agreed. Agreed. Um, all right. Stock music. You know, um, do you agree that maybe stock music, and I've heard you mention this lately, and uh, I know that uh, you are a sync focused person, uh, but uh, I've, I work in stock music only because it's just another income stream that uh, people are interested in and um, <laughs> for good or bad. And, and it's, it's, it's a really rough, rough changing thing all the time, but I kind of think that they are, okay b and c libraries sometimes especially non-exclusive ones that i can for stuff that i make for sync and it just doesn't get accepted for whatever reason and i try all my libraries and they're like no and i'm like okay so i just toss them in my in my non-exclusive uh libraries and um and and guess what sometimes i've ended up having things that were uh put into a sync library after after that and i can get them out of those sync libraries rather easily so what do you think about that I totally agree. Uh, I think this is one of these things that I, I have changed my mind on. I think when I started my YouTube channel, I would say, stay away from stock libraries, royalty-free stuff. You don't want anything to do with that. Uh, now, as I have coached a lot of producers and I think, you know, heard their stories about, man, I'm getting rejected, I'm getting rejected. Or like, you know, they, they liked three of these songs, but the other three they didn't like. And so I've heard enough of those stories and 
you know, the best thing you can do, or I should say the worst thing you can do after getting some tracks rejected is having them sit on your hard drive and collect no potential income. So absolutely. I think stock libraries can be your sort of fail safe, your backup plan to throw those tracks in that didn't quite make it for a sync library and at least potentially earn some income because yeah, I'm not um, a purist on it. It must be sync or nothing else. Like it's, it's income. We're really trying to make income here. So if that strategy helps to make sure that you don't have any, you know, excess tracks sitting on your hard drive, Throw them in those royalty-free and stock libraries all day long, for sure. I think of them as starter libraries sometimes for young producers who are trying to figure out how to get good at, at producing. And sometimes it can be a, 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 a nice thing for their ego to get some things accepted to some small, non-exclusive library or something. So I, I don't see any harm in it. I just think I, my focus has always been sync since i heard of it and so uh stock came along and was like yeah sure i've got a lot of stuff that's not on those libraries better get that than on my hard drive and on cds out in the garage you know so um spotify and dsps how do you, where do you fall on on those with with stuff that you also want to pitch to sync or already have uh, for myself, nothing. I've never done anything through Spotify. I've never released any music that way. So yeah, I've, I have zero. I mean, I've done a couple of things here and there where I just like my brother and I would produce like a cover song and throw it out on, on TuneCore and see what happened. But really nothing really came of it. So I'm really just sort of ignorant of that whole side of the business. Um, don't think I can have I can add probably any value to that. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I, I pretty much just talk, ask my libraries that I'm involved with if they mind if I put it on Spotify, because if I do get on a TV show or something like that, and somebody wants to find it anywhere in the world that I might get something on TV and they like the song and they search for it or do a Shazam for it, I want them to be able to find it on Spotify as long as the library is cool with it. That's just the bottom line. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think my... Um, my issue, I think I've, I've been really excited about not having my music discovered in a weird way. Like I like being underground. I like being undiscovered. I like having no name, having no, any of that kind of stuff, but you're absolutely right. Like if you do get a prominent placement, a lot of producers do want the exposure. So you're and you're totally correct on that. You need to ask your library first, Hey, we got a prominent placement. This is the song. Should we throw it out? Do you mind if we put something out there, you know, figure out a way to do that with your library. But, um, yeah, for me, I think that's why I think I, I love the idea of like not getting any credit, <laughs> not not knowing anything about or not having anybody know about me. I just love seeing the placement. It gave me a boost. And I'm like, man, I'm getting paid for that. That, that was good for me. So, well, plus I've, I've seen uh, both on Spotify and YouTube. Uh, I, I had I was this close to a $30,000 ad kind of a commercial placement last year because they found the song that they wanted to use on Spotify just by doing a search. And then I had uh, another partner of mine uh, get a multi-thousand dollar uh, gig with a prominent company just by, because he did a remix on, of a song, orchestral remix of a song and put it on, on, on YouTube. So I think those kind of things can be found. Um, favorite doll and why? I think I know the answer to this already. Yeah. I'm a logic guy. Been using it from the start. Don't know anything else. So that's all I got. <laughs> Um, and I think I know the answer to this guitar or keys to start most songs. You know, it's interesting. I would say 10 years ago, I would have started with a guitar these days. I'm actually starting with a piano much more often. So mm. it's probably because back then I was much more, uh, rock oriented. So I was plugging in a uh, electric guitar and doing a lot of riffs and that kind of thing. And these days I've just become much more, I don't know what I'm producing, but a lot of it's piano led actually these days. Um, I know the answer to this already, but what is your PRO and why? 
uh, BMI, and I was recommended them in 2012 because I had been told that they paid out better for uh, TV uh, placements. And so far, I feel like that has actually proven true, and I still feel they are a great company to work with. They're not superior in terms of the user interface. I actually think ASCAP has a much better user interface, and they also show you the cue sheets and all that good stuff. BMI used to do that. They don't do it anymore. Um, and BMI's user interface, it's kind of outdated. Um, so I would say, though, if, I don't know, you know, income is kind of the most important priority for me. And I think for a lot of people it is too. So I think if that is what you're really trying to do here and earn some generated, you know, income and some royalties, I still think BMI is the best for sync. Speaking of that, uh, you'll get a kick out of this. I've been meaning to tell you this, but I'm, I saw my first 14 cents on my BMI statement. Uh, so I've, I've heard your story about what was your first one? It was how much? It was lifetime. It was a lifetime movie. Yeah, but how much was it? It, it was, was 14 cents. Exactly. It was 14 cents. 14 okay, cents. cool. Well, see, I'm right on the path then. Um, <laughs> do you uh, uh, do you watch other uh, YouTube creators and podcasts and stuff like that? Do you? Do you oh, yeah. I, I, I watch tons of stuff. Uh, comedy podcasts, uh, some music stuff, not a lot of it. Um, uh, the, you know, one music guy that I've been following lately, it's not even like something I do or interesting, but I think I, I find him interesting is uh, Dame Taylor. He does uh, this kind of thing called monster AR. Um, he's a guy that I, I, he was in the same circles as me back in LA many years ago, but we just never met. And then we find out that like, we're basically friends with the same guy. And like, we're really close friends with the same guy. It's so weird that we just never crossed paths, but he's just a really passionate dude. He puts out these live videos and he's like calling people out all the time and even calling out his subscribers and stuff. And I'm just like, man, it's just kind of a interesting dude. I, I like him a lot, but um, yeah, I listen to all different types of podcasts and, and, and music and all that good stuff. Okay, final speed around question. If you didn't do music or teaching about music, what would you do? What would Boy, it's a good question. Your... I I love virtual reality a lot. I really love that technology. And I've I've seen there was a recent video, it was like a documentary somebody did where they went into Meta's labs and they're showing all these, you know, I don't know if they're called scientists or they're engineers and whatever they are, creating the next iteration of VR. And I think it's just so cool. I just love, I'm just really enthralled by it. I know some people, they get freaked out by it, but I just think it's such an amazing uh, technology. So I, I, I always have this fantasy of like, man, one of these days I'll just get up and go to Silicon Valley and just work in one of these companies and work on that. That, or I'm also really interested in longevity in terms of, you know, these new ideas that maybe we can radically expand human lifespan. So I really, I follow a lot of those YouTube channels as well. And I'm always trying to stay up to date on the latest studies and research. So one of those two, I feel like would be a really impactful use of my time. For sure. And you're, you're pretty, um, you have a pretty strict regimen of sleep and, uh, uh, exercise and things like that. Don't you as well? Right. Yes. I, I wake up early. I like to work out exercise or be active at least every single day. So I learned that lesson a few years back that that's just, it's better for my, it's not, it's not even about physical health. Actually for me, it's mental health. It's mm -hmm. all keeping uh, Joe Rogan actually said something interesting on a, a podcast recently where he was like, you know, cause he'd been through all that controversy recently about Corona and everything else that was going on in his life. And, you know, they asked him like, why, or how did you get through that? He's like, well, I just beat the hell out of myself out of the gym. He's like, my, my workouts are brutal. And because mm -hmm. I basically endure this brutality in the gym, when I get out, like life is a lot more bearable because it's not as hard as what I just did. And I'm like, that's so smart, you know, to kind of create your own stress, like your own intensity in a way that's like, well, when I walk out of this stress, I'm going to be buffer from it. You know, I'm going to be more strong. I'm going to be more in shape. And then the rest of the day, you know, things can just flow off my back. And I find that's very, very true for myself too. Like the more intense, more consistent I go with my exercising, 
the easier, more manageable life and the stressors of life can really be. Yeah, I'm about to join a new gym here very soon, and they have great basketball courts. And basketball, for me, when I'm involved in a basketball game, even if it's just a small pickup game and not even full court or whatever, when I'm playing basketball, there is not a music thought or client thought that comes into my mind because I am so concentrated on the play, on getting the ball, on who I need to pass to or whatever that there's, I'm not even thinking about music. It's the only thing that I can think of besides maybe like dis even at Disney and I live down here by Disney and we went over to Disney yesterday and even at Disney, I am, I'm thinking about creative things and, and Ooh, that reminds me of this and this creative thing, but playing basketball, not a thought comes into my mind when I'm doing that. It's kind of like being at the movie. Sometimes you're just like so enthralled at a movie theater. You don't think about anything. It takes your mind away for a while, which is good for us people who are only doing creative things all the time. Well, man, thank you so much for all your help, just personally. I mean, uh, I know everybody who's going to watch this video is going to be like, wow, yeah, thank you, Jesse, for everything, because you have this dogged determination to help people, and it shows, and it's just, it's pretty great. And uh, you brought me on your channel, which helped my channel, and uh, just all the, and and there's connections I've made through you, not by you, but kind of by you. It's just, you didn't do it, but I did it through you, through people that I saw on your channel. So, uh, you know, that has been great. And I just want to say thanks for everything. And thanks for taking time today to be on this, this video and man, I love your work. So thanks, man. And, uh, you're very welcome. And, you know, obviously you did the work. I just kind of showed the path, <laughs> but you really did it yourself. Um, and that's really, really cool, man. I'm really honored to be here. I'm really just glad to see your channel growing as much as it is. And it's a, it's really cool. Like what I love about your channel that I don't do with my channel is that you really explore all the other options for creating income with your music. And I think that's something I need to be a lot more open-minded to, because I've been very just focused on sync my whole life. So um, I'm I'm definitely making an effort to just broaden my horizon a little bit and look at other potential ways, even if it's not the same you know, big juicy deals that you see in sync licensing, there's still income to be made. So I appreciate you also and your, you know, uh, educating people about all these other ways that you've been able to create income for yourself. So it's really good work, man. Thanks. Yeah. I think it's just important that we just, you got to share from your experience and, and, and I didn't create a channel to do anything, but just talk about what I was saying. Cause what I saw on your channel or what I saw on other people's channels, I was having different experiences, unique experiences from, from my uh, attempts at it. And so, yeah, I think it's important that we all just share our, our, our thoughts and our, our experiences that helps everybody figure out the next road. Well, man, I'm going to let you go today. Cause I know you're a busy guy. Thank you so much for your time. And we will be watching more of your channel and we'll see you on YouTube. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it, man. See you. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. Just a reminder to check out makemusicincome.com and productionmusicacademy.com. And you can find us both on YouTube as well. We both post regular content there. You can find me at Stevie B Production Music Academy and Eric's channel is called Make Music Income. We'd love to see you there. Feel free to like, share, and subscribe to our content. Also, feel free to join us in the Make Music Income Discord server. Lots of great conversation going on in there, and you can share your work and connect with other like-minded folks. It's a great community. So thanks again, and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.